Well, without sounding like an alarmist, today I want to point out, or at least begin with, pointing out two extremes that are in the evangelical church across the country, in this valley, and to some degree in our church. Um, On the one end, I will use my left, your right. On the one end, you have the Bible thumping, uh, pulpit pounding, truth dispensing lovers of Scripture. And on the other end, you have the Bible leaving, never offending, lovers of the concept of love. Somewhere in the middle should be the biblical balance of walking in truth and love. Clinging to the truth, grasping it like you would grasp uh, a zip line clip, right? Especially if you're scared of heights. You grasp it. You hold on. And reaching out. When your partner is lost out there in the middle, you go get them. And so you, you grab and contend and you, you reach out. It is not just contending. And I have to admit that Bible churches, having been in them forever, um, have a tendency just to contend. If we know right, we are right. Bible churches, truth-only churches is what we'll call them. Truth-only churches tend to know much, but they don't show much. They know much, but they don't show much. They hold the Scriptures high, but their reaching out to the community could be low. Love-only churches tend to show much, but they don't know much. They believe the Bible, accept it as true, but they just don't dig into the Bible. Much is achieved, but not much is changed. And in both churches, there could be pseudo-forms of life transformation, one with head only and other with heart only. And if you read the Bible clearly, it always, always, always talks about head and heart. It is neither all mental, and it is neither all emotional. It is both. And it's captured, as you will see, from the text and other texts today in action. The world in which we live uh, has a false view of love, and we'll get there in a few minutes. And that can creep into the church. But if we take, I've got five verses here if you want to write them down. If you just listen to these verses, they contain both love and truth. The first one is 1 Peter 3, 18, Do not love in word only, but in deed and truth. 1 Peter 1, 22, be in obedience to the truth as, a, as sincere and brotherly love. Truth and love. Second Thessalonians 2.10 said they refused to love the truth. And Ephesians 4.15 Speak the truth in love. And there's a certain order there. Speak the truth and it doesn't stop there. It says in love. It doesn't say speak in love Minus truth. It's speak the truth in love. And you're going to see, as you've heard in this letter, it's all overlapping and entwined. You cannot have one without the other. This letter, 2 John, was written to a first century church. These are our ancestors, and they were dealing with issues then, walking in truth and love, as we are dealing with today. And this text 
is timely because it's timeless. It was written in the early church uh, right before 100 A.D. and 2,000 years later, it's still the same. Just like we sing, great is thy faithfulness, God's word never changes. The Apostle John, as we will see in a few minutes, is the one who wrote it and he's writing to combat a false theology and promote true Christianity. And what he chooses to write in this letter, he wrote two others, 3 John and 1 John, and he wrote a gospel, the Gospel of John, but he wanted to communicate something so clearly in this letter, he only focuses on two things. In fact, I want to begin with the end in mind. Look at the end. It says in verse 12, Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. I have a lot that's on my mind, says John. The thing you can learn from that verse, two things you can learn from that verse, John had a lot on his mind, but he chose to write about two things, truth and love. And you learn from that verse, it's, it's good to get on paper, as John did on a papyrus for us, those main things, but he wanted to be there with his people face to face. So just a little aside, it is always better to go meet face to face. Now sometimes you may need to get out on paper, i.e. in the world we live in today, technology, email. Not, there are not many letter writers anymore, although we need to get that back. We need to be face-to-face with one another and communicating these things. But John says, I have so much. I've got to talk about these things. Just like I could have come to you, uh, there are 66 books in the truth, the Bible. And I could have come to you with any one book, any one letter, any one passage, any one psalm, poem, a proverb. I could have come to you with Philippians and say, let's revisit Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Showing that anxiety <clears throat> shouldn't be there. Be anxious in nothing, but in everything through prayer. And as prayer as a tool which God has given us to release that anxiety. I could have done that. I could have come to you with the book of Ecclesiastes and given an overview and just showed you life is not meaningless if God is there, but you must first focus on God, revere Him, obey His commandments, and enjoy life. In this mixed up, messed up world, Solomon tried it all and he would just tell us, there's no use. I've tried it. There's nothing new under the sun. Fear God, obey His commandments, and enjoy life. But, as important as those are, we we have another couple things we need to talk about. And this is our fifth book together, so we have 61 more to go to get through those key issues. But today we're going to specifically look at walking in truth and love. It is not walking in the truth, and it is not walking in love. We fall off the donkey if we just choose one of those. On one side, it could be walking in truth. On the other side, walking in love. We do not want to be known as that is the truth church. We don't want to be known as that is the love church. We want to be known as that church holds to the Scriptures with with a firm grasp. Wow. Wow cuddle up next to them. They, they seem to hold to 
truth and love. And I think that is two very important things to talk about in a young, growing church. So we've begun with the end in mind. He says, the children of your elect sister greet you, which takes us back to verse 1. The elder to the elect lady and her children. Here's your author and here's your audience. The elder is John. He is, he's writing as if uh, he were writing uh, to a congregation that knew him. And so he didn't need to give his name. The internal language, if you match it up with 1 John and 3 John in the Gospel of John, matches. And so this is John the elder. This is not some other elder. This is the Apostle John. And when he's writing to the elect lady and her children, he is writing to the local church that he pastored. It's as if you were to receive a letter. Let's say it's 10 years down the line and you receive a letter from me. Maybe Ashley and I are on vacation or something. You receive a letter and it just says... One, one of your pastors to this wonderful family, you, would, you, would, you wouldn't go, well, who's writing this? You would go, oh, okay, I know who that is. There's, there's been a background developed here. And in fact, the images of the Bible of the church being an elect lady, you can see it in Isaiah 54, you can see it in Galatians 4.25, you can see it in Revelation 12, the woman. And when John wants to speak clearly and point, pointedly to specific individuals, he does not hesitate. Third John, it says the elder to the beloved Gaius. And then he calls people out. Do not be like uh, Diotrephes. But be like Demetrius. So when he wants to use names, he'll use names. But in the letter of 1 John and the letter of 2 John, he's writing collectively to those ch- that church. And her children are believers, and the two key issues are whom I love in truth. He didn't say, whom I love with truth, or excuse me, whom I, whom I love, and then he didn't leave it there. He said, in truth. And he didn't just say, to my, and her elect children, truly, your elect children, period. He says, whom I love in truth. And not only I, he's saying, there's not only myself who loves you, but all who know the truth. And he gives a reason in verse 2. For writing because of the truth. And he says, Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and Jesus Christ in truth and love. Four times, three verses, you get the word truth. And we live in a culture that denies that truth exists. Or they'll go so far as to say, Well, yeah, but it's relative. Four times, three verses. He says, I love you in the truth. Also, the others that know the truth, so it's, truth can be learned. Because of the truth, there's the reason that he's writing, and we receive grace and mercy and peace from the Father and Son in truth. But he doesn't leave it just with truth. He says, whom I love in the truth. And we receive these things from the Father and Son in truth and love. And so, John here front loads in his introduction, love, and truth. It is not one or the other. And he front loads it so that we don't miss it. These things are not mutually exclusive. And we'll just deal with the truth first because that's the one that's mentioned first. Truth is, let's just, it is what is in accordance with reality and it's objective. It is out there. 
It is what is in accordance with the reality and it is out there. It is objective. You can, under, you can observe and say, this is true. And it's also subjective. The truth abides in us. And so not only can we learn it, we know the truth. It abides in us. And it says in John that the Holy Spirit will come to convict the world concerning sin. Sin is a truth that's out there. It is observable and we can subjectively know it. C.S. Lewis, when he was writing his work on mere Christianity, said it was the law of human nature. And we've gotten away from that term and it's it can get befuddled in today's culture, but it's the idea it was a law. It went across all cultures. It wasn't just subject to uh, an American culture. It was subject to an African culture, a Mexican culture. It, it was a law, and it was human nature. What he was talking about is by nature, people know right and wrong. That's what C.S. Lewis meant. That he, he said if you went up and took somebody's seat on the subway, they would by, by nature say that is wrong. By nature. So the truth is out there and it is also God in Ecclesiastes 3.11. God has set eternity in their hearts. Romans 1, uh, they perceive it. Romans 2.15, their conscience tells them it's either convicting them or doing good or bad. It's within us. It is objective and out there and it can be inside us as long as it accords with reality. Try it today. If you go to lunch after church, try it today. Walk Say you're in the dusty boot, you see somebody eating, just walk by, grab their plate, and just keep walking. And let's just see what happens. I don't think they would, uh, first they would be astonished that somebody would even do it, but you just tell them, you know, in my reality, I didn't even see that happen. And, and somebody told me just to come in and take your plate, and that seemed like it was good for me. And, and my, the new, new age spirit to which I pray to says I can do that according to my rules. And we go, what? What? You're weird. And you would go, yeah, I'm just weird. I was just doing it. You're right. That was wrong of me to take your plate. I know there were two-for-one burgers there. I was wrong of me. And so we expect everybody to live with that sense of reality of right and wrong. And to take it one step further, we expect everybody to be loving. We might, people might argue against that, but they, everybody expects somebody to be loving to them. And so Christian love is founded upon, as John Stott said, Christian truth. And he says it like this, we cannot increase the love that exists between us by diminishing the truth which we hold in common. We minimize the truth to expand the love, John Stott would say, absolutely not. So let me front load a main point of this sermon. Love cannot unite where truth does not exist. Love cannot unite where truth does not exist. The world would say, I'm crazy for saying that. The world would say, if we're talking about love, <laughs> you know what the world would say? Let me begin with uh, somewhere I believe it was in the 60s great theologian John Lennon. He would say, there's nothing you can know that isn't known. Nothing you can see that isn't shown. 
Nowhere you can be that isn't where you're meant to be. It's easy. All you need is love. All you need is love. All you need is love. Love is all you need. A little bit later, the great priestess, Tina Turner, it's physical. It's only logical. You must try to ignore that it means more than that. What's love got to do with it? And here is Tina who got beat by Ike. Do you know her definition of love? What's love but a secondhand emotion? What's love got to do with it? Here you go, Tina. Here's great theology. Who needs a heart when a heart can be broken? All you need is love. Oh, it's a key element, but there's faith, there's hope, there's the fruits of the Spirit. All all you need is love. Love is not all you need. Because love apart from the truth is no love at all. And no, Tina, it is not just physical. It didn't end there, though. I mean, if you were a child like me of the 80s, there was Hathaway. What is love? Baby, don't hurt me. No more. It's conditional. What is love? What is right? What is wrong? Hathaway, my generation, confused about the truth, says it in a song. What what is right? What is wrong? Baby, don't hurt me no more. It's conditional. Love should never hurt. And I think, I think Robert Palmer got it best. You know who Robert Palmer is? He's a, he's a good musician who sang this. You see the signs, but you can't read. You're running at a different speed. The heart beats in double time. Another kiss, and you'll be mine. A one-track mind, you can't be saved. Oblivion is all you crave. Oblivion is all you crave. If there's some left for you, you don't mind if you do. Whoa, you're going to have to admit that you're immune to this stuff. You're going to have to face it. You're addicted to love. And you know what? This culture, they're addicted to love. We're addicted to a false view of love. We feel loved when people make much of us. Do we feel loved when God frees us to make much of Him forever? We feel loved when people make much of us. We build, it's the, we aren't even, and I'm so glad someone mentioned this yesterday. It's two references to the zip line. Uh, when we were having, at, at each zip, we had some gentlemen talk on a truth of manhood, and it was talked about being made in the image of God. Yet we, we've been brought up in a culture that builds our self-esteem. You can't say that to him or her. That's unloving. That will destroy their self-esteem. Well, if they're being rude and inconsiderate, I need to confront it, otherwise they're going to carry that on. It's only going to get camouflaged into more sophistication. But they're, they're actually going to be worse if I don't do this. And I, if I have to damage some self-esteem. We have a false view of love. It is mainly emotive. It is mainly... Um, 
how we feel. It is not to the objective standard God's truth. What is love? Well, turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13. What is love? Paul, Paul doesn't leave us hanging on this issue. What does love have to do with it? Is, is all I need is love? Paul seems to say, so faith, hope, and love abide. These three, the greatest of these is love. So it does have an importance, it seems. It's of greater importance as Paul says, faith looks back, hope looks to the future, love is, Paul lifts it up, I believe, because he's saying it, it affirms the faith that you have in the past, the, hope, the past, the hope that you have in the future, because people see it today in how you love. And this is love. And you will notice there is only one emotion in this list. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It, love, does not insist on its own way. Oh, there are some more emotions. It is not irritable, irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. So there are three. Irritable, resentful, and rejoicing. And what does it rejoice in? The truth. Love bears all things, action, believes all things, action, hopes all things, it endures all things. Love never ends. For me to say that love does not have an emotional concept would be false. It would not be the truth. There are emotions involved, but according to Paul, love is primary in action. For God so loved the world that he just told the world how wonderful they were. It's a classic Christian verse. Hangs over all the stadiums. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He just told them how great they were and they made, He made much of them. For God so loved the world that He gave action His only begotten Son and that Son came and did something. His whole life was love and it was primarily an action to call people to the truth and to reach His hand out. He, he is the prime example of walking in truth and love. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever should believe in Him, that is His life, He was born, lived a perfect life, He died a death that we should have died so that we could live with God forever. It was primarily and radically an action, not an emotion. Did Jesus have emotions? Absolutely. Did He express them? Um, did he feel them and express them and temper them perfectly? Absolutely. So Jesus knew how to love. God knows how to love. And it's not by making much of us. It is by sending his son to die on the cross so that we are freed from our sin to make much of him forever. And so that love is primarily in action. He says... In verse 4, I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth. It is wonderful to walk in the truth. Jesus said in John 17, Sanctify them in the truth. Thy word is truth. It is not an adjective that is a noun. What he was saying is, This 
is the truth. Are there other truths outside of this? You betcha. Learned about, a lot about physics yesterday. I'm glad those things hold true. Literally. But this is the truth. Think over these things and I'll give you understanding in everything. This is the truth and we must live our lives because it gives guidance in every single area of our life. Spiritual life, intellectual life, physical life, financial life, social life, and emotional life. This word guides us. But here are some things. I'm just picking three. I could go on all day on some things that are up for grabs in the Christian church that are we don't know if they're true or not. Uh, creation, God is the author of life, is up for grab in the Christian church. Abortion, that every life is special, even the unborn life, is, it's up for grabs. And homosexuality, God's way of designing male and female, as he sees fit, is up for grabs. It is. Here's how. Uh, creation, teachers are confusing students by saying evolution is a credible scientific fact. It's not. But there's a, at least I know of some that are being raised up in a particular institution that says this is just as credible as presenting the creation account. Abortion. Ex-first ladies, no matter how classy they are, are steering women wrong. They're saying they have rights to kill their what I would call an unborn child. And they can say it as, with a classy tone in a classy way, no matter how classy they want to be about it, they're wrong. She's wrong. That doesn't go with the truth. I don't care how classy you are. And it's not a woman's right to kill a baby. And homosexuality. I keep coming back to this one and I keep coming back to marriage and abortion because these are what this country will divide over. If it hasn't already, they will in the definition of who should be married, this is where this country's headed. And so I will continually bring it up. Christian musicians are coming out about being homosexuals and not being unrepentant. Pastors, who could be wolves in sheep's clothing, I will say that from the pulpit, will say something like this. Well, Christians have shown to be wrong about many things. Slavery, whether women should vote on property and much more. Given a less than stellar track record, is it really heretical to think that the evangelical church may be wrong about homosexuality as well? Isn't it wise to ask the what-if question from time to time, if for no other reason than to test our contemporary application of Scripture? No. It is not okay. <laughs> did we get, did we do, did, did some men and some pastors lead people astray by misinterpreting the Scripture? Yes, we admit that. But we don't take them. Take a break. Let's just think about this. No, we were wrong. But this is what's right, and it's always been right, even though we misapplied it. Here's another church leader. Frankly, many of us don't know what we should think about homosexuality. 
We've heard all sides, but no position has yet won our confidence. For the sake of time, I'll just go to the next paragraph. Perhaps we should need a five-year moratorium on making pronouncements. In the meantime, we'll practice prayerful Christian dialogue, listen respectfully, disagree agreeably when decisions need... It sounds so good. But no, Brian McLaren, a new kind of Christianity, a book you shouldn't read unless you're going to read it critically, you're wrong. Homosexuality is wrong. God created, and he created a certain way, and that means all of life is special, even the unborn life, and he created us male and female, not to be opposed to one another, but to complement one another, and so those are the only folks that should get married. Period. But when we deliver this, let's do it with grace. Do we, do we look at those who practice uh, the homosexual lifestyle and say, oh, you idiots. We don't. You know why? Because the overflow of our heart, our mouth will speak and we'll say, oh, can I, can we, tell me your history. Tell me why. What, what, where was it for you? Hey, well, I've always been this way. Wow, because creation and evolution, neither one of those would allow you um, to hold that position. So enough with the smoke and mirrors. Let's just get to the heart of it. Why can we do that? Verse 3, grace, mercy, and peace have, are with us. Because we've, we've understood that we are not guilty because of God's grace. We are not miserable because of God's mercy. And we are at peace because of God's pardon. Whew. And you know, it says it comes from God the Father and Jesus Christ in truth and in love. And so John says, I rejoice greatly to see your children walking in the truth just as we were commanded by the Father. And then he gets tender with her, the church. He's tender with the church. Now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we've had from the beginning, that we love one another. And I love this. He helps me with love here. Verse 6, And this is love, that we walk according to the commandments. It's not that hard. Love is obedience to the Scriptures. You want to hear what Jesus had to say about it? John 14, verse 15. Red letter text. This is Jesus Christ on earth telling us about love and how to love Him. If you love Me, you will keep My commands. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. That's, there, it doesn't get any clearer than that. If, let's just flip it. If you don't keep my commandments, you're not expressing your love for Jesus. It does not get any plainer than that. And John picks up on Jesus' words and he says, This is love. <clears throat> that we walk according to the commandments. And if you connect verse 4 and verse 6, walking in the truth, walking according to the commandments. So the commandments are true. John 17, 17. And this is not something that is new to them, just as you've heard from the beginning, so you should walk in it. He is tender with the church, and He's just giving them a reminder. You guys know this. That's what He's saying. 
People need to be reminded more than taught. Love is obedience to the Scriptures. And you can take any one of those Scriptures and one person said yesterday, are you expressing that in a loving way? Love that. Here's the, here's the fruits of the Spirit. Are you expressing that in a loving way? Commandments, love, they go together. It is not action devoid of joy. Rejoices in the truth. It, it fights against irritability and resentfulness. And so the first command, if you were to walk away from this sermon with anything, it's walk in truth and love. Just like John said, it brings no greater joy than to see people walking in truth and love. And so you need to do two things. And I will get very specific on this application. Number one, you cannot walk according to the commandments if you do not know the commandments. And I'm not just talking the Ten Commandments. I'm talking the whole of Scripture. So stay faithful to the text. I don't personally, whatever, one, one chapter a day, three chapters a day, six a day, a book a day, going through the New Testament a month, I don't care. But if you want to fall in love with Jesus, you've got to read the Bible. That's how you'll know the truth. How do those people who can discern whether a dollar bill is false, fake or not, they don't go studying all the uh, opportunities for fake dollar bills. They know the, the real one. And they look at that and they look at this and they go, no. That would be my first encouragement. My second comes from an observation over the past couple of years, well, year and four months, five months, and hearing some other men in Avail Pastors Network this week, the way that we can show love by walking according to the commandments in this valley is to be fruitful with our time. Truth, faithful to the text, and be fruitful with our time. I'm going to bring it down. No high shelf cookies. I mean, these cookies are like right over there for my son to grab fruitful, bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit, and we, including me, need to reevaluate how we view time. Paul says, whatever you do, or he says, do not do anything from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, consider others more important than ourselves. People say, you put your money where your mouth is. People put their efforts and their time to what they believe in, period. I talked to a gentleman this week, met him at the park. He called himself a recovering from another religion. And he said, he was talking about bikes. And he, I said, yeah, I guess I won't see you on Sunday then. I've got to go mountain biking. I'm going to put my time where I think I'll get the most joy in my life and what I think is most important in my life. So, very specific application to this valley. 
just ask it in question form. If you're really serious about Jesus Christ, it will be reflected on your calendar. Is it reflected on your calendar? I could go to, is it reflected in your checkbook? But it, it will be reflected on your calendar. If I were to look, if you were to look at my calendar and what I've done over the past month, would you say, man, he really is setting apart time for Jesus? set apart time for other things do we set apart our time to fall in love with the body of Christ serve the body of Christ etc bring it one more step down those sign up sheets that Jillian and and, uh, the skipper were talking about quite frankly it shouldn't come down to the last minute those sheets should be theoretically filled up immediately Check my, don't have a, check my iPhone. What? Yeah, I'm going to be there. But what may happen is I don't know if I can commit to that yet because I don't know what that time will look like. But there's a reason why we do all this. It isn't just about getting people to a VBS or getting people to Sunday or in a community. There's a reason behind all of this. Amen? It's not just so we can say we've got everybody here and there and everywhere in church. No. It's not about just attendance. It's not about uh, just committing to something. Just say you committed. There's a reason. And John gives us the answer in 7-11. through 11. This, is, this is why it is very important that we come together as a church, we build something bigger than ourselves, and we commit our time and our resources together. Here it is. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess Jesus Christ is coming in the flesh. And John, the apostle of love, doesn't mince any words here. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Ouch! John, you're supposed to be snuggling. Well, I just want to be real, says John. People who do not confess Christ in the immediate application, they didn't confess Him as coming in in a human form. They said He just kind of appeared and then left. They're deceiving. It's hard to see because they're they're hiding. They're not coming right out and saying, we're opposed to the truth. We're opposed to all this. They're the deceiver and the antichrist. And do you know that that is still with us today? A couple weeks ago, I come home to two gentlemen speaking to my wife on our front porch, porch step. They are deceivers and they are antichrists. They are. Because if you look at their doctrine, they say these, and we'll call them from what they are, they're Mormons, and they say, yeah, the eternal Father and His Son, Jesus. Jesus was created. He didn't eternally... And, they would even say that he really didn't come in the flesh, he appeared. Really? That's not what the Bible says. I mean, in Second John, well, you need further revelation, and there's a guy named Joseph Smith. The reason we come together and we, we join together and we, we pour into our young children so they're, they're a, a worker approved, a worker 
approved and not ashamed. The reason we do that is so they're raised up and they smell error. It's not right. That's the reason we come together and we, we call and we want to join and get and sacrifice our time even when it's not convenient. It's not convenient to go meet and leave my family on a, on a certain night to go meet with somebody else and talk about life. It's not convenient for me to do that. But it takes my time because maybe that influence will go somewhere. And that's why we come together so that we can see deceivers and antichrists and go, not right. It's a culture of confusion. They deny Christ. They hide it. Mormons don't come right out and say, well, really we don't believe in the Trinity and really we don't believe in sola scriptura and really we don't believe in it. And they were arguing with me on my front steps. and I was just arguing in less use of where they were reasoning with me. Well, don't we just believe the same thing? No, we don't. Your Bible, your whatever you call that, goes... You work as hard as you can, and then Christ saves you. I say Christ saves me, and then I go work. It's the exact opposite. So we're not even close. Well, do you do work? I say, look, you're more of a wretched sinner than you really think you are. Well, I, I don't want to get in an argument. I don't want to lose the Holy Spirit. You can't lose the Holy Spirit if you're truly a Christian. And they walk off. It's dangerous when we don't understand the truth. And so when creation comes, we, we don't have the, the guts to stand up and say, no, we're not going to teach that. Because where there's confusion and we don't want to stand and say, God created, and go read Blaise Pascal and all these scientists. It was for us to figure life out. We don't say to Larry... No, you know, we had our disagreements. Praise God, there was submission there. But we have our disagreements, and he believes what he believes, and I believe what I believe. That's confusing to people who have associated you as a Christian couple. That's confusing. Many people, and it says there, many deceivers have gone out. Not just a few, there are many. And then he warns in 8 through 11. So. The first part of that application, walk in truth and love, faithful with the text, fruitful with your time. Here is how you do it and avoid the dangers. Eight, watch yourselves so that you do not lose what we have worked for, but that your reward may be full. Do you see the interconnection between what we have worked for and your reward? It's all together. Watch yourselves. Be careful. Do not, and this is the way I'll say it, do not go back on what's been written. Do not go backwards. This is what the Bible says. Rob Bell, you don't get the opportunity to go in and say, well, we don't think we need the virgin birth. We'll just take that brick out. No, you know, Brian McLaren, yeah, homosexuality, we can't really figure it. We need to pray about it for five years. Let's just take that brick out. So watch yourselves, says John, pastor of love. Don't go back on what's been written. Uh, The openness of God, we've... I wrestled with that. Uh Uh-oh, God's not really sovereign. He's learning just like the rest of us. No, He's not. He knows the beginning from the end. It is a mystery. We hold them in tension like a guitar. But no, God is not open to change. Praise God. Jesus' divinity, He's not, I mean, He didn't really need to be born of a virgin. I think so. Matthew tells us that. 
Uh, the gospel's exclusivity. I mean, I mean, what about those who, I mean, who haven't heard? I mean, what if they respond to the light that's given them? Okay, that sounds good. But it's just magic. No. If they're responding to the light that will be given them, I assure you God and His sovereign plan, if they are elect, will get a missionary there to preach the gospel and they will fully respond to the presented text or to truth. And about truth or love only, if you're truth only, if you lean that way, you're probably leaning a little bit more towards legalism. Do these six things and this is the truth and just hold to the truth. If you're love only, you lean this way and it's just, hey, let's not get all worked up about it. It's just love. Let's just be unified. And you have a false sense of unity. It's gross. Nobody really talks to one another. We just, well, I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. I'm glad there are men in my life who will hurt my feelings. I'm glad that they will look at me and say, no. I'm glad. Otherwise, I'd be an idiot. Walking to the beat of my own dumb drum. Boom, 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 boom. It's not, it's not truth only. It's not love only. Love and truth. Cling to it. Hold your hand out. And nine, he says, look at this. Everyone who goes on ahead, so don't go back. And the second would be, don't go beyond what is written. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. This happened with an early denomination. The church's authority is equal to the Bible. No, it is not. It is the Bible and everything else. It then came into a Keswick convention and there was this higher life. There is no higher life. Everybody's equal at the cross. Without holiness, nobody will see God, so we all better be holy. But we want to start making levels here. And then you can see it today, and I've, I don't necessarily praise the Lord see it here, but I, I've seen it in other places. Man, if you're home, not homeschooling your kids, you're, you're a, what, uh, some sort of parent. You're... Uh, I'm releasing them to the devil um, and I fail as a parent, says one elder to a pastoral candidate. Really? Really? Oh, that's in 4th John that you got that. I would say six-year-old in this place is actually a witness. And have I, have I, you know, come a joint venture with Brush Creek and said, okay, you do your, have I given her away? No. Huh, what are you learning? Because oh. I can see it coming. What are you, well, the world will evolve. No, it says it right here in the scriptures. And then let's, let's look at, let's look at Michael B. and Phil Johnson and we'll just see it's intelligent design. And you're going to hear that. not accepted. And if you when they get to a certain age you want to say and if you'll just say is this fact or theory and they say fact you know they're really lying because even the originator itself called it a theory. So don't go beyond what is written. And finally 10 and 11 if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching do not receive him into your house or give him a greeting and let me tell you that is a principle let's not be hyperliteral because on a cold, snowy day, if I have the Mormons in, I'm not in sin right here. 
Some would say, hey, you had them into your house. It says it right there. What John is saying, and if we look at the phrase and we match it up, in your house and give a greeting, like Jesus said in the Gospel, don't give a greeting and keep going. It's because it is a, it takes time and it is association. It's the idea of being associated. If someone doesn't bring this teaching and you invite them into your house and give them a greeting, the point, if you associate with them as if they're not wrong, you're in sin. Snowy day, five feet of snow, elder who and who come to my house, they're going to come in because they're going to get an earful about the gospel. It's a principle. Avoid. Uh, we can't be hyper-literal on this. And the reason? Eleven. For whoever greets him, that is, whoever has fellowship with him, literally another translation says, if you fellowship with that one, you take part in their wicked works. Oh, sure. Let's just... Let's do, let's do a joint venture with the Mormon church. You know, let's, let's work to EBC and, and the Mormon church, you know, hand in hand. And that happens. And I don't understand why it happens. I'll just go on record and get everybody mad. I don't get interfaith chapels. They confuse people. They really do. As much as good intentions there are, they confuse people. I don't get it. John didn't say, yeah, as long as your, your motives are, we don't fellowship together. So, are we going to be a truth-only church? No. Do we want to be a love-only church? No. We want to walk in truth and love. We want to see that love is not about God making much of me. Love is God giving His Son who died on the cross for my sin and enabling me to walk the Christian life so that I can make much of Him together. And that is radical. And to mimic that, I must obey what He's called me to do and radically give myself. Husbands, love your wife like Christ loved the church. How? Oh, he just told her she was, you know, really pretty. And <laughs> he gave himself for her. So it starts right here with me and my wife, my wife and my kids, and then our family and our neighborhood, our neighborhood and our church, our church in this valley, in this valley in this world. Father, help us to do this. Not just help us, enable us. We cannot do it apart from you. We must. And we're asking you. We're asking you who said you began the good work and you'll complete it. Who said you're at work in, in us to willing to work your good pleasure. We're asking you to enable us to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We're asking you to enable us, to give us the breath of life every day, to give us the right mind, the willing heart to walk in truth and love. Lord, if we do it on our own, we will fail. We admit that. We've tried it. We confess it. We're asking you to help us to be this church, a church that walks in truth, a church that walks in love, a church that does not ever give up, but is always prayerful, knowing that as we walk in those two things, love and truth, you will bless us beyond our imaginations. In Jesus' name I pray.